0: Let's go to the Lord again in prayer. <clears throat> Gracious Father, once again, we, <coughs> we thank you for blessing us to be able to assemble, to lift up our voices in praise and adoration unto you. And I trust that we not only lifted up our voices, but our souls unto you as well. Too often, I know that it is with my own heart, and I figure that it is with others. Sometimes we assemble together and our minds are wondering about the cares of yesterday or the plans for tomorrow and other things. And we look forward to the day when we are face to face with our Lord and all of the cares of life and things that hinder us now in our worship will be removed and we will be able to express our souls in ways that we cannot even begin to comprehend now. Even as John said, that we know not what we shall be, but when we see Him, we shall be like Him. And we do not know what the worship will be at that time. But in a glorified body, with a spirit without sin, how marvelous it will be. And sometimes... You bless our souls to seemingly touch the hem of the garment of our blessed Redeemer. And they're made to overflow with great expectations. Much of the time we think about these things And we wonder how much our souls are in tune with it. Nevertheless, thy will be done. Again, we pray for those who rule over us that we might be blessed to live out our lives with a measure of peace and harmony. We know that there are many that have been affected lately by murders and killings of all sorts. And we realize and know that only you can provide the comfort and the understanding and what each needs to learn from the experiences of life. We pray that some would even be turned unto you as a result. We, in one of the killings of this past week, we realized that someone that we knew were in the working in the same area of that hospital, but happened to be in another section when the killings took place. Truly our times are in your hand. Bless us to realize that in our own trials and afflictions and not murmur and complain. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we start on the fifth chapter of Galatians. And I want to take the time to, to read it, to familiarize ourselves a little bit more with it. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again in every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you, are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well, who did hinder you, that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. For brethren, you have been called into liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, Envying one another. So as we continue our study in this book. We continue to see the importance of the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament economy. The Judaizers affirmed that there were not two separate covenants but that the New Testament is an extension of the Old. And if you remember a few weeks ago, we read an article by uh, a, a Protestant, a Reformer, that maintained that that's one of the distinctions between Baptist and the Reformers, the Reformers still maintain that the New Testament is a, an extension of the Old. And the Baptist position is that there are two different covenants, two different distinctions. And we see that uh, in many places, but I'll just go to one in Hebrews chapter 6 and bring this to our attention again. Hebrews chapter 6, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 8. And pick it up in verse 6. <coughs> but now hath he, that is Christ, obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Now there's many things that we could say uh, in those verses. But you can see from Uh, verse 7, that there is a first and a second covenant. He said, For that if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place shall have been uh, sought for the second. Also in verse 6, there is a covenant that is better than the first one. Also in verse 6, we see that Christ is the mediator of a better covenant. In verses 8 and 9, you can see that there is a new covenant and it's not an extension of the old covenant. And the new covenant writes the law in the hearts of the people of God, whereas the old covenant did not. And the new covenant because uh, there is a new covenant, because the old decayed and waxed old, and is ready to vanish. And from Hebrews chapter ten, we see that the old covenant could never take away sin. Look in Hebrews ten. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offer year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. And then in verse 12, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. So only Christ could take away sin. Not the Old Testament covenant, and there was two different covenants. And that's what we have been showing over and over and over throughout the first four chapters. And it will be reiterated more as we continue on. This chapter, as we study it, that is chapter five, There's basically three things that we will find in our study. One is that Christian liberty is to be free from the Judaizers and their bondage of the law. Second, we'll see that we're to avoid the smallest leaven that works righteousness Or that works under leaven, that works of works righteousness. That is, we're to avoid works righteousness. And third, we're going to see what it is to walk in the Spirit Christian liberty. Now, we said some things about this a few weeks ago. And probably some of the things I'll say today will be a reiteration of some things I said a few weeks ago. But this concept of Christian liberty is very likely one of the most misunderstood subjects in the day in which we live. And it's sad to say or to say the least, that the modern Christian has adopted the idea that Christian liberty is that which is advanced by the world more than by the Word of God. And they advance that one is free to do whatsoever he feels like doing. Now that's basically what it boils down to. Several years ago, I remember hearing of a minister that justified some of his congregations going down to the beach dressed in their bikinis and other swimming attire to hand out tracts. Now, can you imagine such wickedness? In fact, I heard something this week of a minister and his wife that were having some problems and they sought out some counsel but they sought counsel from a woman that had been excluded for drunkenness and adultery and the next thing there was a picture of all three of them at some rock concert i think in las vegas and the minister's caption was, "He's getting his marriage back together." Now that's that's just that's just typical. That's sad, but that's typical. You who come and hear me on a regular basis, uh, I can assure you, and you can too, that you don't hear such things as that. But that's usually that's very. Very, very typical. Sad to say. But Paul pointed out, particularly in the, verse, uh, in the 13th verse of this same chapter, he said that they were not to use liberty for an occasion to the flesh. For an occasion to the flesh. You say, what is an occasion to the flesh? Well, most likely, whatever stirs up the flesh is wrong. But we'll say more about that. There are some things that uh, the flesh could be stirred up. You could say in one sense to be right. It's right for husbands and wives to love each other and love their children and children to love their parents. And things of that nature, and so uh, that uh, that uh, that appeals to our flesh, and rightly so. But anyway, I think you know what we're trying to say. Some of these some of these modern Christian liberty folks will say that. Somebody can do whatever they want to as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. However, others are not so charitable in their beliefs. And some of these people are always inconsistent in their philosophy. For example, I don't know where this fly came from, (laughs) I'd like to shoot him. Anyway, some of these people, they'll gather together in public protest, claiming that a woman has the right to do with her body whatsoever she wishes. And by this, they mean that she has the right to murder her baby she helped to produce. And by this they deny the rights of the Father to have any say in the matter. But these same people will make crowds and have marches and protest for their liberty to do what they desire and yet they'll push the government to force vaccinations wearing a mask, social distancing, impose various laws and regulations on people and private businesses against their wills and often against lawful rights. So while they have their uh, desires on the one hand, they want to impose their restrictions on you on the other hand. And by the same token, many people that try to, and I'm talking about Christians now, that try to maintain their so-called Christian liberty and call other folks legalists, what they want to do with their Christian liberty, they want to force you to stop doing what you think is right. And so they identify with the world more than they identify with God. And often when a minister or someone teaches that the truth about sanctification and how Christians are to live and act and not look like the world, he is often called and labeled a legalist and trying to rob others of their Christian liberty. And likewise, when someone seeks to live a godly life, dress modestly. By the way, I heard recently where uh, a woman was attending a congregation and everybody else was condemning this one woman because her dress was too long and she needed to cut her dress off a little bit more so that the congregation would be more unified. In other words, they don't want you to do what you think is right. They want to force you to their worldly standards. And often when someone does dress modestly and doesn't practice cross-dressing and wears a head covering out of respect to the Lord and to her husband as she ought, And has her hair according to the Scriptures. Avoid pagan holidays and other godly directives. Those individuals usually too are labeled legalist. But as we have pointed out before, what is a legalist is one that seeks to be justified By their law works. Now. If a woman who does. uh, Dress modestly. And does. Wear a head covering And has her attire. According to scripture. And everything else. If she's trusting in that. To make her more spiritual. She is a legalist. And a man who. Uh tries to dress modestly and act like he ought to and not be conformed to the world in order to be justified, he is a legalist. But that's usually not the case, though it is the case with some. There are some groups of people that seemingly, uh, from all of their writings, they trust more in their uh, attire than they trust in Christ. And that's sad. More and more I see professing Christians adopting adopting the lifestyles of the world. And sad to say, it is being practiced by many who preach and talk about not being conformed to the world. In other words, I hear and see preachers preach not to be conformed to the world, and yet I see them on social media in shorts and sometimes naked from the waist up. And yet they're still saying that you shouldn't be conformed to the world. Of course, I know some people think I'm just a mean old chauvinist pig, and I have no uh, care for women, but I deny the charge, because any man, any man that allows his wife to dress immodestly, he doesn't love his wife, As he ought. I probably have it written down somewhere here in my notes. But the base nature of man. The base nature of a male. Is so base. When women dress immodestly. It causes him to lust. And to look. When he shouldn't. That's the base nature of man. Women say they don't know that. Some women say that. I deny that they what they say because they dress to appeal to that base nature. And it's sad, but that, that's, that's where it's come. And just about every woman you see today, she has her low cut in such a way that It exposes her nakedness that is totally immodest. My point is that all of that has nothing to do with Christian liberty. I don't believe people that dress and act that way would be doing so if Christ walked up on the scene. And I see men as well as women. By the way, most people don't know it a few years ago. I forget how many years ago. I've got it documented somewhere and I probably put it away (laughs) so I can find it. But I don't know where I put it. (laughs) But uh, the city of New York passed a law that women could could go naked from the waist up. And you know why that law got passed? It's because the women pushed it because men could go naked from the waist up. So the idea was that if men could, women could. Well, I know that whatever I say is not going to change. But I also know that to show some of the inconsistencies, I know of men that believe that women ought to dress modestly, and 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 so on and so forth, and yet in their own families, that doesn't go. And even some of their little daughters, they have on social media, dressed up in their tutus, their ballerina costumes, which cannot be construed as being modest in any sense of the word. And usually, well I say usually, in many cases, the reason the men allow that to go on is because they know that they'll lose their marriage if they Stand the ground. But that's where the world is. That's where the world is. But my point is that is not Christian liberty. That is not Christian liberty. And I think I mentioned not long ago that there was a deacon in a congregation that wrote an excellent article or a paper on cross-dressing and presented it to the congregation because some of the women were beginning to practice it. When the pastor had preached all of his ministry against it, And he even got up in the pulpit afterwards and commended the article that the deacon passed out amongst uh, the congregation and said that it was right on target. And for what it's worth, uh, like I said, I read it. Uh, It was not written in any judgmental way or as harsh. It was an appeal, a scriptural appeal. But anyway... It from, from what I hear through the grapevine, of course, you know, sometimes that's not right, but some women took exception to it. But the article had many, many, many passages of Scripture. Christian liberty... is to be against works for righteousness, That is, the righteousness of Christ. But I just want to read a few verses about what I've been talking about. First of all, First Corinthians chapter 11. Now I know that there are ministers that say that 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the first part of this is a cultural thing, or they say that the hair is the covering. But you will search history all you want to you will not find 1 Corinthians chapter 11 fitting any culture. Greek, Roman, Jewish, Babylonian, Assyrian, Egyptian, no culture fits 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you take everything that's being said. Let me read it. Be ye followers of me even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you brethren that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I deliver them to you. I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. That verse is denied by most today. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Now, let's say that The hair is the covering. That's saying that any man praying with hair on his head is dishonoring his head. That doesn't make sense, does it? Verse 5, Every woman that prayeth or prophesied with her head uncovered, that is, with no hair on her head, dishonoreth her head. That doesn't make sense, does it? For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if a woman be not covered, that is, if a woman doesn't have any hair on her head, let her also be shorn. Well, how can she cut her hair off if she doesn't have any hair on her head? You see the ridiculousness of saying that the 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 hair is the covering? But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For indeed a man ought not to cover his head, for much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. I don't have time to comment on all of this. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this calls of the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. In other words, she should have the authority or a head covering on because angels are watching her. And ladies, you who have your head covered, you are teaching angels. I would not say that if the scriptures didn't teach it. But you're teaching angels. You're teaching angels about submission. You don't feel like it, do you? You don't think that that's what you're doing when you put your head covering on, do you? You see, walking by faith is not a matter of feeling; it's just a matter of doing. And whether you feel like it or whether you feel worthy of it, is not the point. The point is you're obeying God. Verse 11, Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. That is, the man doesn't need to uh, be a tyrant over her. He's to love her and so on. Anyway, for as the woman is of the man, even so the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judging yourselves, is it uncomely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her for her hair, is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such customs, neither in the churches of God. Some people take that verse of Scripture and say, Well, Uh, We don't need to be contentious. We just don't worry about it. Don't say anything about it. That's like saying God took up uh, 15 verses of Scripture to say it doesn't matter. No, what that's saying is, if you're going to argue with it, this is what the congregations practice and you're being contentious if you're going to deny what this is being taught. 2 Timothy chapter two. Excuse me, that should be First Timothy chapter two. Some might say, Well you're you're not this is not very popular. God didn't call me to be popular. I will say this, in my generation, as far as I know, I'm the first primitive Baptist that ever preached on head covering. When I was a child and went to the house of God, all women had their heads covered. They either had a bonnet or a hat on. And I think preachers may have been the cause of women taking their head coverings off. First of all, for not preaching what the Scriptures teach. And secondly, preaching against so-called Easter bonnets and for vain show. I don't know that, but somehow it got sidetracked. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also, women that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, in shamefacedness. How many of you have ever heard a sermon on shamefacedness? You say, well, that wouldn't be popular. No, it wouldn't. You say, well, what does that mean? Look it up in the Greek. It means exactly what it says. And sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. By the way, this is one verse of Scripture I use to say that private school should not be under the authority of a congregation because usually if it is they have women teachers and so you have women teachers under the authority of the congregation which is a violation of this passage now the woman is to teach in the home and she might teach in a private school that's not under the authority of a congregation But I suffer not a woman to teach nor usurp authority over the man but to be in silence for Adam was first formed then Eve. Why is it that the woman is to be submissive to the husband and the woman is to be submissive to men in general? The law of creation. God created Adam first and then He created the woman. We read that in First Corinthians 11. And here it says, For Adam was first formed, then Eve. Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now, that's a difficult passage, but I'll tell you what I think. (laughs) What's she going to be saved from? She's going to be saved from silence. That's the context. And how the woman gets to speak is in living in such a way and teaching her children so that her children continue in faith and charity and holiness and sobriety. Now, obviously... Obviously, the grace of God has to enter in there, too. But you can find that children that are usually taught properly from their youth up, usually, when they become adults, they're still good, respectable citizens, as a general rule. But not always there. Manasseh had a good father, but he turned out to be very wicked. Titus chapter 2. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Sound doctrine? So is he going to talk about election and justification and redemption and propitiation? No. Sound doctrine. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands. To love their children. See a woman say, I don't love my husband. Well, you can learn to. How does an older woman teach a younger one to love if they can't learn it? And learn to teach them to love their children. To be discreet. Chase. Keepers at home. Several years ago, Brother Zach... He said he got out all of his Greek books and commentaries and everything. He was going to find out what keepers at home meant. He said when he got through, he found out it means keepers at home. <laughs> now this is God's Word. You say, well, I don't believe that. I believe it means something else. Well, you may believe whatever you believe, but you're believing contrary to what the Scriptures Say, I didn't make it up. Keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. Mm that the Word of God be not blasphemed. There's a lot of blasphemy going on in houses across this nation. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. I was raised with the idea that young men were to sow their wild oats before they settle down. God doesn't say that. God, God doesn't say that. God says there to be sober-minded. Notice this. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Then he goes on talking about servants and so on. But I'm limiting this. Now let's go to one other. First Peter chapter 3. I defy the Christian liberty, folks, to read these passages without explaining them away. And justify their lifestyles. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. You know as well as I do many women that work out in the workforce, they're subject to somebody else's, some other husband, and not their own husband. In other words, they'll put up with stuff in the workforce that they won't put up with in their own homes. That if any obey not the word, they may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Now that without the word... The word thee is not there in the original language. And I believe he's saying that they without a word. We men are so sinful that usually when a woman tries to tell us something we buck up and won't do it. That's the base nature of a man. But there's one thing that a man, particularly a good husband, can't resist. That's a good wife that's getting better. (laughs) While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, adorning, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in old time, holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well and not afraid with any amazement. You know why Sarah listened to Abraham when he denied her as his wife? She trusted God. You say, well, what what was the virtue in all of that? I can't, I can't separate it all out. I'm just reading the Scriptures. She trusted God and God delivered her. And had a pagan king to rebuke Abraham. Not once, but twice. Abraham was wrong. Likewise, ye husbands. In other words, what was being said about a lot of this up above would also apply. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. You know, the world says a man can't understand a woman. And a lot of jokes made about that. But God says that the husband is to know his wife. That takes a lot of work to really get down to knowing his wife. And he's to dwell with her. He's not to take jobs and be away from home all the time. He's to dwell with her. according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now there's a lot in those passages, not only with women, but men as well. But this modern society of Christian liberty, so to speak, and women doing whatever they want to do, and men letting them do whatever they want to do, women are becoming more and more uh, a brothel. In other words, they use their bodies to get whatever they want. And that's the society in which we're living, of weak men and women that are giving way to the world. And is it any wonder that our society is where it is today? Well, we'll stop with that. Pick up here, Lord willing, this afternoon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know that according to the world, the message is not popular. And I'm also well aware of the fact that very likely I'm not. on target as much as the scriptures are teaching. Simply because of my own living in the world, still in a sinful body, and various things of such nature. But whether I understand all of the ins and outs of all of these verses, I do know one thing, that no man is truly happy or at peace with you unless he's living in obedience to the Word. Not with gritted teeth, but with a desire to please His Heavenly Father. We do thank You for the forgiveness of sins that's found in the righteousness of Christ. But help us, our God, not to justify our sins in any way. And help us to hide Thy Word in our hearts more and more that we might live more holily righteously and godly in this present world in Christ we pray Amen